0: scripture reading this morning before the lesson. 1 John four nineteen, a verse that's pretty familiar to us. We love because he first loved us. In Psalm 24, verse 27, verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple.
1: good morning so we're gonna um, just a programmatic note before i get started here we're gonna do the first couple of points of the lesson which are really not the majority of it just a i'm gonna do a little interactive thing so if you uh... i'm gonna ask some questions and if if you feel so inclined nobody should feel any pressure of course uh... if nobody wants to respond i can share my own thoughts about this but uh, I would like to get some feedback if anybody, uh, just a couple of couple responses to kind of see where we are, I guess you could say, and then more on the third, third point, um, it'll become less like a Bible class and more like a typical sermon where I'll just talk more, but we'll get there in a minute and you'll see what I mean. Um, today is, of course, the last Sunday of the year, and through 2019, we focused on the verse that's on the screen, we love because he first loved us, and that little logo uh, there, it's been on our banners and all the website and uh, stuff, and all the all the logos that have anything to do with this church. You know, it's it's this idea of 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 love not being only something we feel, but something that flows outward to those around us. Um, starts with love, but that love eventuates in changed behavior, changed relationships, changed um, uses of our time and money and resources as we try to live more like God. It centers on love. Not surprising since 1 John itself says that God is love. Love is so central to this character that he is described as love. That's that's a biblical definition of God. He is the being who just is is so defined by love and so exudes love that it's not, um, not inaccurate to call him love. And the thing is, his intention for us is that we become like him in love. How did God love us? Well, there's a lot of answers to that, but the one that really encapsulates them all and I think epitomizes all of those biblical answers is the cross. It is Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, um, going to Calvary and dying to pay the price for our sins. He gave himself up on our behalf. He surrendered himself to help others. To help us, to rescue us. And um, Romans 5 8, I think, is among the many verses which captures this. God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died. He emptied himself and gave himself up because we needed it. And the thing is, we're all called to the same kind of thinking, the same kind of behavior. The same kind of value system where self-surrender becomes a less and less remarkable thing because it becomes our new normal, right? I mean, that's what this says. We love because He first loved us. So it draws our minds back to the love that He initiated and then calls us to be a part of that dynamic. It's a cross-shaped love. It is a cruciform love. And it should become our very way of life. And that should shape every single relationship. And we're in a lot of relationships, all of us. Even the most intro, uh, you know, most uh, introverted, uh, you know, go-it-solo person has some relationships. They at least go to stores and buy things. Right? Or click Amazon. <laughs> you know, maybe it's a virtual. I mean, nobody's that isolated that I've ever met. Um, we have a lot of relationships. And so every relationship ought to be shaped and flavored and, 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 and shaded by the love that God has, the cruciform love that he has for us in Christ. So have your relationships in your homes changed any? You know, it ought to affect that. Husband and wife, wife to husband, uh, parents to children, and so on. The relationships between members and among members of this church family ought to look cruciform, meaning self-surrender ought to be the norm. Not see if I can get my way, but see if I can get your way. What about out in the community? The relationships that we have with our neighbors, with people that are, you know, co or in our neighborhood or just strangers that we meet in our daily interactions. Love captures so many facets of the gospel that we, we decided to place it at the kind of heart of our church's mission. Um, and, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but um, talked about this last year about this time, and if you've been on the website, you've seen this. This is the church uh, mission statement here. Uh, this is just from the website, but I've blown up the part so you can see it better under our mission. Um, and it comes out of 1 John four nineteen. It just blows that verse up. Inspired by God's love for us in Christ, we, as a church, seek to be defined by cross-shaped love, in worship to God, in fellowship with the church, within the church family, and in an outreach to our neighbors. That's about everything there could possibly be and that the Bible could, talks about. Starts with God initiating. We respond to God. We respond among ourselves, fellow Christians. And then we respond with cruciform love as we interact with our neighbors. All right, that's, been, that's the church's mission because it's what we read in Scripture. And over 2019, what we've tried to do is stress the idea that selfless, cross shaped love should be the DNA. Of this church it should be the 24 7 focus of this church not just what we talk about when we come together in a, in an assembly or a bible class here but our church collectively and distributively throughout the week should have that as its new normal so that's what we've been talking about all, for this last year right it's in the old banners um the the little heart icon has tried to remind us of that and so as we consider transitioning from 2019's theme to the the new theme for 2020. Let's continue to ask the hard question of how we can come to emulate Christ's sacrificial love more more fully, more perfectly. That's a hard thing to think about because that's that's a tall order and I doubt any of us is there yet. I'm not. But we don't want to move away from that because it makes us uncomfortable. Um. We want to move toward it and toward God, because that's what he's calling us to. So let's continue to ask how we can come to emulate that cruciform love, that sacrificial, self-surrendering love, even better. And this morning in particular, let's look at this question. I want to do it three ways. I want to do it retrospectively, prospectively, and introspectively. In other words, let's look back, let's look forward, and then let's look inside. It's going to be a short lesson, unless something happens between now and and when I finish, and you're like, well, it always happens. I mean, we'll see. Hope springs eternal. This is a, a beginning of cusp of a new year. Maybe who knows what crazy things might happen, you know? Um, all right. Let's start by, by with the retrospective um, kind of angle. So that's that's last year, right? The year we're, we're completing right now. We love because he first loved us. How do we. Let me, let me put it this way, how have we, uh, h- how has this gone for you? And I think, I think uh, Stephen has a mic, so if anybody would like to actually answer that, I mean, I'm, that's a pretty brave person, because you're, I'm asking you to confess, probably, unless it's been like, yes, great, I'm just like Jesus now. <laughs> In every way, I've self-sacrificed all year long, 24-7, maybe, feel free to say that, um, I'd, I'd like to talk to you afterwards, and learn your secret, <laughs> but um, h- how have we done with this? Uh, Have your relationships, have your priorities and your your decisions, your choices, your actions, the way you respond to people, how has all of that, uh, has it been more cross-shaped? Has it looked more like Jesus dying to self on the cross for the other person? Have you had a more calculated selfless love for your wife or your husband, your brothers and sisters in Christ? some non-Christian co-worker, some acquaintance, even some stranger. So, let me ask you if, if anybody would like to. If not, that's fine. Nobody should feel pressure. Randy, if you get, Stephen, if you could get over. So, this is what I want to look at. How do we bring Christ's self-sacrificial love to all of our relationships? And I want to just, first of all, think for a minute or two about the past year. Yep.
2: I mean, I don't... I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily better or you know worse than I was this time last year in terms of, you'd have to interview the people around me, I guess. But one thing that I definitely saw a difference in because of our focus um, was just the, for me being able to personally meditate on that he first section of that verse um, and kind of trying to leave behind the try harder, do better, you know, mentality that I can do something first. and um, your teaching and our church's focus on that, it's really a response. It's not something that mm-hmm. I have to somehow manufacture within myself because I've tried that, not, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in 2019, for me, really focusing on He first loved, um, I think has helped it to become a little bit more of a habit and less of a, I just gotta try harder, I just gotta do better. Um, and, you know, hopefully going forward, I can do better, but not because I can, but because he
1: first. Okay. Thank you. One more on this? Ty. So good to see you, Ty. Yeah. And Mary Ann both. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm sorry that what
0: happened happened between me and medically. Um, to really yank your perspective into a really – it straightened your path a lot. Um,
1: <laughs> that plus the loss of a dear friend, of the same thing, mm-hmm. um, it's it really puts things into the right perspective. That is what I struggle with nowadays. Um, but I gotta say it's easier when you have that perspective that you're temporarily
0: here and you move on, mm-hmm. um, going from one room into the next, mm-hmm. and um, you want to do as much as you can mm-hmm. during that time.
1: So. Uh, you know, love comes easier. Yeah, gotcha. Appreciate it. All right, let's let's change gears now and, and and think about looking forward. The prospect of 2020 and and just the general future beyond that. But let's take one year at a time here, as a church, as we try to focus ourselves prospectively. What do we think about? We love because He first loved us. In other words. If we could we could all share you know for an hour or two all the difficulties we've had with doing that in the past year or maybe maybe things got better we could we could, but now what about thinking about going forward what what could help us do better at making selfless cross shaped love our new normal um, because th- the fact is we need we need incentive to do that that this that's a that's a radical thing if we were all doing that like jesus really like jesus we would have to be building three new buildings because people would see something so otherworldly so holy so set apart so different that they would be drawn to it like moth to a flame um, problem is christians aren't necessarily more cruciform than anybody else they can be as top-down let me, have, let me get things back the way they're supposed to. They can be combative and they can just use the same old MO of the world in the name of holiness and God. And they've been doing that for 2,000 years. Cruciform selfless love looks different. It looks like nothing else the planet produces. And it, think about how, how difficult that is, but then it, it's possible because God calls us to it and Jesus did it. And I want to think now about wh- where that comes from. Like what... What is the engine that powers that? What is the, to change metaphors, what's the spring from which that kind of love flows? What's the source of all that? All right? What, what, what can possibly motivate somebody to give up something so valuable as his or her very life? That's what Jesus did. Yes, Miss Alice? great point I'll just I I, I can repeat it I might miss a word or two but I'll paraphrase what Miss Alice says is it's all about going back to the word it's all about going to the Bible because we could we could pull our ignorance and guess and say what I think what do you think what do you think we could just pull it out of the culture what is the culture saying we could mirror what's going on in the world around us or we could go back to the actual fountain of all wisdom and look at what the Lord himself says in his word Does that fairly capture what you're saying okay yes Larry good point Miss yeah.
0: We have, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. We have so many ways of learning. We learn by living. Getting older, we learn things. We learn things through the scriptures, teaching, going to class. We also learn. One of the most important, I think, is from other people. Mm-hmm. Being trying to be an example as they are, mm-hmm. and not. I've had the the fortune, being fortunate enough to have friends that have taught me a lot. Robert Dawson and your dad. Mm -hmm. Uh, You learn from those. You can see love exuding Mm -hmm. from them Mm -hmm. and the way they treated their neighbors, friends, people they didn't know. And that was a great example Mm -hmm. to set forward for other people. And
1: I try to do that. Well, they would have said, they would have said likewise the other way from you to them, no question about it. But that's a great point. Appreciate it. Yeah, Greg. I guess another way is
0: um, looking around, keeping your eyes open. Mm-hmm. When um, after my mother's funeral, we had a gathering for lunch, and well,
1: there were a lot of family and people that I really wanted to talk to. When Linda and I got our plates. We turned around there was a woman sitting there all by herself, so immediately we went and sat with her, okay. and we had a great time.
0: With her, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like she was. I don't know, consciously or if they were ignoring her, but you know, we couldn't take the fact that she was there by herself.
1: Yeah, yeah, but you know, just keeping your eyes out for right things. So, I mean, all three of those actually have something in common because keeping our eyes open and our ears perked uh, to the word. To what other Christians are showing us. You know, we're we're told, imitate me. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We read the Bible in community. Sometimes it's something Charlie sees in a text of scripture that he shares with me because I came to Bible class that I I maybe looked over that scripture 45 times and never noticed. That's why we read it in community, not just little individual islands. Uh, But then looking around at people made in God's image who are in desperate need of his love and, and like loving them. So opening our eyes, you know. Go listen to Jackson Brown's Dr. My Eyes with that comment in mind. All right, um, <clears throat> you should be listening to him anyway. It's a matter of course. Everybody should. Yeah, Steven, Amanda, sorry.
2: Um, I was just gonna say similar to what Greg said. I think, so this is a quick story. Living with Don for the past year has okay. been really great and it has strengthened or challenged my beliefs in a lot of different ways. Don and I think very differently about things and also strengthen my beliefs in some things. And the best thing about all of us living together this year has been the perspective that he brings. Mm -hmm. He has a completely different upbringing than me. He has a different family, um, a different way of looking at life. And so I think one of the things that could help us do better going forward is to just get a completely different perspective outside of ourselves and the story that we have been taught slash tell ourselves.
1: Great point. So is he coming back to live with y'all after Florida? Yeah. Okay. All right. Good stuff, y'all. Appreciate it. Let's move now to uh, this third point, which will be more like just a traditional sermon. Um, I.e., if you raise your hand, I'm gonna ignore you. <laughs> I wanna, I wanna get out. I want you to. I wanna do something different, time-wise. Okay. Introspective. So we've talked about you know looking back retrospectively, looking forward prospectively, and now looking inside. Um. We need to ask ourselves, is this kind of love that we're talking about, the radical love that could go to a cross, that could give up self, the ultimate thing you have is yourself, willing to give that up for other people, for the needs of those around you, is that kind of love really inside us? In other words, I'm asking us to sort of take stock, look in the mirror, you know, put yourself in a scale, See whether that is really, to what extent is that really characteristic of us? And let me suggest to you that that question, whether cruciform love is really inside us, that question quickly becomes a question of how we relate to God. He's the standard of what love looks like, He's the one who did this in Christ on the cross. How do you respond to what God initiated at Calvary? And the question of how we respond to God is a question of worship. If you Think about it. So I want us to focus now on this, this topic, this idea of worship. Um, we love because he first loved us, right? But I don't know what you think of when you read that verse. You might think, oh, we love other people. Because God first loved other people. He loved me, I'm an other person to God, and then I've got to do the same thing. That's true, and we talked about that a lot over the past year in sermons, community group material, Bible classes, things like that. But isn't it also the case, and I would say even prior in terms of the logic of the verse and the logic of the biblical story, that our first response isn't loving other people, our first response is to love God back. We love God because He first loved us. And then that eventuates in loving others the way God loved us. But if we, this is kind of back to Randy's point, if we start with, well, I better get my act together and start loving people, bootstraps, effort, performance, right? We're leaving out the, 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 the thing that could be the engine, the, the wellspring, the fuel that, that makes that love go. We love God. It's first about a response to what God did initiating love in the first place. That's got to be prior. I mean, think about the great commands. When Jesus is asked, what are the greatest commands in all the scriptures, the scriptures of his day, what we would call the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the writings, his answer was, the greatest command comes from Deuteronomy 6. It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. In other words, to love God with every facet of your being. You're all about absolute devotion to God. But he didn't stop there, did he? He said, a second liken to it is, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think the fact that he gave a two-part answer shows that Christianity has never been about spiritual navel-gazing. A lot of people tried to make it that way in monastic traditions and whatnot. It's always had a social, a go-out part. You're called out of the world to be sent back into the world. On the other hand, he doesn't start it with, go out in the world. I'm going to wrap your knuckles if you don't. You're going to go to hell if you don't. That's not the Bible story just that that's a truncated half-truth he starts with love him with your whole being and one piece of that is to love everybody else but we got to start where it starts we love God because God first loved us now, I want to tell you we won't love others very well if we don't love God first as we should loving God is what fuels this Christ-like love for everybody else so you might be thinking, well, okay, fine, but you're talking about, you're talking about worship. So what is, what is love, what we've been talking about in 2019, what does that have to do with worship? Why are you suggesting, Monty, that this is a question of worship? And, and that's, I think that's important to think about because that's actually one of the, the things we're going to try to answer and explore in the new year is how love is related to worship. Now, let's consider this for a minute. And and to do so, I wanna I think what we have to do first is get rid of a couple of unhelpful assumptions that we often bring to the topic, the the word worship. If I say worship, odds are pretty high that a lot of us are thinking, well then he's talking about church. He's talking about Sunday morning. Get rid of that assumption. It's not a biblical one. The word worship is used in the Bible all kinds of ways. Of about everything that has to do with your relationship with God, wherever you are. So, this is not a word that has to do with just church buildings or church services. Does it include that? Sure. What we're doing right now is worship. When we sing those songs, when we pray, when we open up our Bibles. But if John was holding his grandchild at home in a loving way and taking care of his grandchild, the Bible would say that's worship. Romans 12 1 and 2 says, being transformed, being a living sacrifice is your service of worship. I'm not talking about church at all in Romans 12. So don't think worship, oh, that means inside a church building or inside a church service. We're limiting the concept in ways the Bible has not. Okay? Secondly, second assumption I think we need to get rid of before we even talk about this is that the the, the relevance of the word worship is limited to this category that we would call religion. One of the things we're going to try to get across in the new year is that every single person on the planet worships. The most virulent atheist you've ever heard of worships. They just don't worship God. Everybody worships something. Everybody has a set of ultimates where they find the most meaning, the most value, the thing for which they'll sacrifice other things. We're wired for worship. Bob Dylan had a brief period in the 70s when he became a born-again evangelical of some sort. I don't know that much about it, but I remember hearing a song when I was in junior high. I think high school, maybe junior high, maybe even grade school at that point. I can't remember when it was, but he he briefly became like a some sort of evangelical Protestant, and he had a song called "You May Serve the Devil" or "You May Serve the Lord." It wasn't Lord, Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Anybody remember that song? Okay, that's true. You you got to serve somebody. We're wired to worship. And so it's not just a religion word. Now, in the Bible, worship translates several Hebrew and Greek words. So You can see the word English word worship. That could be any number of, of, of Hebrew and Greek original words. But the basic idea is actually pretty simple. Worship means devotion to or adoration for whatever it is that you ascribe ultimate worth to. Whatever you ascribe ultimate worth to, that you adore... You're devoted to, you're committed to, you're seeking, you're pursuing. That's worship. A lot of different words. We, can, we will look at a lot of those nuances. Of different, that's the basic idea of all of them. In fact, the English word worship evolved from an older English word, worship. It just got it evolved. It just got mongrelized, like words, you know, language is always changing like that. And if you think about the word worship, You bow to the thing, you devote your life to the thing, you pursue and love and adore the thing that you think is worthy of that kind of behavior. The one or the the person or the thing that has worth ship. And so that's, you're you're sort of ascribing a a lot of value. Uh, This person or thing is worthy of that kind of devotion on my part. You can see this with the woman uh, that anointed Jesus with that expensive oil that she brought in an alabaster uh, cruise, an alabaster you know, a vessel. This is, uh, There are four accounts of this and they probably are talking about different things. They're, they're pretty different. It's hard to put them together but I'm gonna use the one from Luke. And here Jesus goes into the house of a Pharisee named Simon and he sits down to eat with him. Remember Pharisees are some of the most religiously observant people of Jesus' day. They're the conservatives. They're the religious conservatives. They're making sure everybody, every T's crossed, every I. They're culture defenders, the whole bit. And so this guy's watching Jesus. It's amazing he even invited him in. Maybe he's trying to keep an eye on him. I don't know. But also, it says in verse 37 Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. So she doesn't even have a name in the story. That, her reputation precedes her, she's just known as a sinner. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. I guess it's a flask here, not a cruise. And standing behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed him with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is. Who is touching him? For she's a sinner. The Pharisee thinks this is outrageous behavior even scandalous I mean she's down at his feet her hair all over his feet she's weeping and this is and she's a sinner he's supposed to be a rabbi well this guy's missed it that's what he thinks but what she thinks is I'm gonna pour every drop of this valuable ointment on Jesus's feet I'm gonna give up what is very valuable for something that is more valuable. There is worth-ship in this one called Jesus. And this is why she kisses his feet. Who's, who's the last person, you know, you've kissed their feet? Kiss my feet, we used to say that in the sixth grade as a cutdown. kiss my feet. All over the Bible are people kissing each other's feet. I don't know if you ever noticed that. A lot of falling at the feet and worshiping at the feet and kissing the feet, that's what she's doing here. And that's a a way of showing worship. In fact, in Matthew 28, 8 and 9, when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary um, are told by the angel, "He's, he's not here, he's risen. And then a bit later in the narrative there, they come in contact with Jesus, the risen Lord. And it says they fall at his feet and worship at his feet. In Revelation 22, 8 and 9, after John is given by the angel the vision of the new heavens and new earth, the new creation, where all of this is headed, the consummation of all things. And it's it's just beautiful. It's like the Garden of Eden made pristine again because the curse is no longer and God is with humanity and there's no mourning and no tears and everything is a paradise. And he falls to his feet and worships at the feet of the angel. And the angel says, no, 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 no. You've got to worship the lamb, not me. But he doesn't say you shouldn't fall at the feet of somebody and worship their feet. That's normal behavior, apparently. So when it says that she is kissing his feet, this is a picture of worship. It's a quintessential picture of worship. She's pouring out something expensive and kissing his feet, right? And what I want to suggest is that at the end of the day, worship is really about adoring. It's really about loving. That's why the ultimate command is love the Lord your God with all your heart. Like Be be smitten by God, not all this other stuff. Worship is love. Love is worship. What we love most, folks, is what we end up worshiping. Let me finish the story here. Beginning in verse 40 now. Continuing in verse 40. Luke 7, verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, to the Pharisee, Pharisee just thought something, Jesus is responding audibly. (laughs) Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Here's what Jesus says in verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. So one owes him 10 times more than the other. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. And here's Jesus' question, now which of them will love him more? Will the person who's been forgiven a 500 denarii debt love the creditor more? Or the person who's been forgiven the, the smaller debt? Which will love the creditor more? Simon answered, verse 41, the one I suppose for whom he canceled a larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman, this sinful woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, which was a custom, hospitality custom, olive oil like that. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. In other words, she's shown me way more adoration and love and devotion than you have. And he says in verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. In other words, the amount of love she shows is evidence that she's been forgiven a greater debt. He's just following the analogy there. But who is forgiven little, loves little. In other words, if we walk around thinking, I'm a pretty good person. I don't really have to be forgiven that much. You're not going to be a person who loves anybody. The people who love the most are the ones who have the greatest appreciation of the grace that has been necessary to save them. I've been forgiven an enormous, unrepayable debt. What is you hurting me a little bit (laughs) to me? Sure, here you go. If you walk around thinking, I'm pretty good. Glad Glad we got it all figured out. You're going to be very stingy with everything—the gospel, grace, tolerance, uh, second chances. You're living on the fumes of second chances. We all are, probably fourteenth, fifteenth, five hundredth chances. Truth be told, but boy, you're going to turn around, and act like everybody else hasn't been—you know—they've not minded their 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 p's and q's like you have. So there's a connection here. We'll, we'll explore this in the new year. My point here, though is to just say that this kissing of the feet, this anointing of, the, of, of his feet with an ointment, is an expression of love. The worship and the love are just two sides of the same coin. We love what we worship and we worship what we love. It's ultimately about adoration. It's about devotion. What do you think is most worthy of devotion in your life? You're going to worship the thing that is most precious to you. The thing that you think is most necessary to your life, to your thriving. That's what you're going to worship. The thing that's most captivating, that's most awe-inspiring, that's most... You find the most exhilarating, or fulfilling, or thrilling, or beautiful, or captivating. That's what you worship. So my question is, do the right things thrill our souls? Do the right things captivate our hearts? How do we change what captivates our hearts? Can we just say, you know, the heart loves what the heart loves? Heard that saying.